memories are usually how a person is remembered. Uh, you don't remember the fact, you don't remember the numbers, you remember the stories. That story tells basically a um, transition of how I was able to turn that rejection into redirection. In improv, um, a big role is yes and. It's, it encourages you to be open to new ideas, to be very um, adventurous. Someone make a statement, um, the best way to respond is to ask why. First, it's like questioning the facts. The other side is questioning the question. It's more of building like common understanding among humans, understanding that you don't need to put people into baskets. People can be global citizens. Hi listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Permission to Become podcast. Today I have the pleasure of sharing with you my interview with Iris Guo. She is the first Gen Z guest on the show and I was just blown away by her level of personal drive to make an impact and to live a purposeful life. So in this episode, we not only talked about how Iris became involved with various social impact projects and eventually landed her dream job at Google X, we also dove into how she used the power of improv and storytelling to create social change. So I hope you will enjoy this episode. Hi everyone, welcome to the Permission to Become podcast. This is a podcast about Asian American women exploring their boundaries and permissions around self-discovery and personal empowerment. In this podcast, we will dive into the untold tales of Asian American women breaking out of who they should be and becoming who they truly are. My name is Joyce Bao and I'm your host on this podcast. Hi, Iris. Thank you so much for coming on the show today to Permission to Become Podcast. Thank you so much for the invite. I'm super excited to be here. I'm super excited as well. I think you were the um, first Gen Z guest that I have on on this show. And I am just so impressed by everything that you are doing. and the initiatives you're leading, it's um, really learning a lot. So super, super excited to dive into today's conversation. And um, before you know, we get into all the awesome initiatives that, um, that you're leading, I'd love to just start by learning a little bit about your path. Um, and so first, uh, it would be great for you to share with your audience a little bit about your your own Asian American upbringing and um, um, yeah and how that has um, affected or impact shaped who you are today. For sure definitely yeah I was born and raised in the Silicon Valley of China which is a city called Shenzhen. Uh, it's very close to Hong Kong and it's very much this tech city um, tech capital of China and so growing up I've always been really much um, immersed into tech and I always experienced the super fast pace of growing of the city and I feel like uh, I was growing with the city as well and uh, my family is very much a um, traditional Chinese family and uh, we share the same passion for food 
So uh, every day at dinner table, that would be when we'll be telling stories about um, what happened at school today. And kind of that was my memory for home is uh, that is very much related to food. So um, and then after that, I decided um, so I, I, I was in high school in China until grade 11, where I decided that I wanted to come to Canada myself because uh, one problem that I realized in Chinese education system was that everyone was looking for the same standard. Everyone have very similar value chains um, in terms of what's good and what's bad. Like having the highest mark is the best kid at school and there's no other evaluation uh, methods and everyone is trying to be that same person. But I, I didn't want to be that same person. I, I have always been very curious as a kid. Um, Ever since I was a kid, I loved talking to strangers. Like even though my mom told me multiple times, don't talk to strangers on the street, but I'm just that kid who just loves talking to strangers because I'm just so curious about the outside world, about other people's lives. So with that mindset, um, I decided that I wanted to pursue a different kind of education for myself. So decided to come um, to Canada as an international student when I was 17 by myself. And um, I've been independent since then. So. I think that kind of experience definitely gave me a very like more perspective in terms of um, different kind of education system, politics system, and I'm able to look at things more in a very objective way, I'll say, because I I understand how politics works in different countries and how it is a lot of time brainwashing or campaign um, on either side. So um, I think I'm able to look at things more objectively and. I really think that global perspective was able to also lead me down some of the um, other path that I'm, I'm able to see that other people weren't. So yeah, I, I'm definitely very appreciative of my upbringing, um, having an Asian background, but being educated in the Western kind of um, ideologies. Yeah, I'm actually really curious about that. So um, because I, I think, you know, growing up in a system in, in China um, where, like you said, like everybody thinks the same, everybody is molded into sort of a similar personality. I'm just really curious, like how you um, were able to break out of that, right? Like, how did you, um, how did you decide at, um, you mentioned age 17 to, um, decide that you wanted a different path where with the discomfort your parents or like you know how, how did you develop that um, idea yeah that's really interesting I think it came from connecting with more people and learning different perspectives um, so a lot of times when you are in the same peer group like whether in China or here um, I feel like you're you're very much influenced by your peer you have peer pressure um, and you tend to just conform to social norm and do what other people are doing. And that happens a lot, especially when you're in like, for example, Silicon Valley, that's a tech bubble or in finance bubble in Wall Street. So I think a way to break out of that is to really take yourself um, outside of the crowd and think more reflectively on who you are as a person, what do you enjoy, what do you not enjoy and uh, what are your values? So I think having those really like value grounding exercise of who you are as a person, um, then you can seek your why um, on a more clear, like a clear purpose way. Um, so that was how I grow out of um, that same model, same standard 
um, way of mindset because I believe that humans should be evaluated more than just their grades. Um, there should be diverse path. There should be um, people who are learning because they're passionate about learning. And I was just that curious kids. And I think talking to students also definitely helps because I just have seen so many different walks of life and um, so many different experiences through traveling as well. So I think I just opened up my mindset and want to explore a, a world that looks different. Mm, I love that. It's like your curiosity led you to expand your mindset and um, sort of your own paradigms, maybe even breaking your, your own paradigms um, or challenging it, perhaps, because um, you're not accepting um, what is. You're, you're more questioning. Yeah, for sure. I think every time someone makes a statement, um, the best way to respond is to ask why. And, um, but then if someone asks you, um, I think it's, it's like on both sides, right? Like first it's like questioning the fact, the other side is questioning the question. Like if someone asks you, why are you doing this? You can ask, why not? <laughs> so I think it's like uh, always having a, like a debative um, nature of just like how you think. Mm. I'm also really curious. So you kind of mentioned um, how you, you're the non-conformist kind of growing up um, in China. And how, how were, what were some of the things that you carried to um, America and to who you are today from your Chinese upbringing? For sure. I think as um, someone who who grew up in like a Chinese background, it's very much used to be working hard because everyone's working hard. And um, that kind of like work ethics carried with me today. And I think, but I, I, I feel like I'm working for a different purpose now. Like I'm not working hard because other people are working hard. I'm working hard because I'm really passionate about uh, what I'm working towards. So I think um, that's something that's definitely very different from and something that I, I've trained a lot within myself, uh, the self-reflection. And I think another thing as well is um, the level of empathy, because in China, uh, it's very it's very much a relationship-driven society. So people tend to be very close with their colleagues. Um, they go they go out for drinks and they, they just like foster that relationship because people really need it to survive in a society. So I also brought that into kind of like my networking and into um, the way I build relationship and human connections with people here because I, I truly do value um, people outside of just work and I want to get to know them on a personal level um, and I think bringing that empathy level into uh, my work as a product manager um, has also really helped me um, to understand the user better. Mm, I love that. Um, and it just makes me think of the Chinese word guanxi, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> For the listeners, listeners who are listening, guanxi is essentially building relationships and it's key to I think doing anything in China, like making, uh, building a business or just running anything. And I, I, I did remember like when I moved here too, um, it was just, a, America was like a very different paradigm. Um, and I think I had to like get my head wrapped around it because in China so much of it is like 
we're a web embedded and we like weaved together in a society and everybody is interdependent on everybody. Um, and then here is kind of, it's more of this idealistic, um, individualistic um, society where it's like, you do your thing, um, which is also great. Um, so it's, it's just a very different um, dy dynamic here. Exactly, I agree, yeah. So, so I'm um, interested in, uh, you mentioned earlier, working for a purpose now, and I absolutely love that. And I think that's something that in this podcast, I really want to dive into because um, on my own journey of, um, you know, working and kind of exploring um, this, par this path to becoming, um, I found that purpose is one of the most important things to making us happy, um, feel happy and joyful in our career. Um, so I've been, I've been on this like whole path of learning about what is purpose, um, and how do people find their purpose? So, um, I would love to now kind of learn a little bit about your path to finding your purpose and your passion and will let you to, um, take on some of the things that, that you did. For sure. Yeah. So, um, after coming to North America, I chose to study finance in my high school. I mean, no, in my university. And then the reason initially I chose that was because I thought finance, there's a lot of transactions happening. So people will probably be talking to each other all day and then building connections and relationships until after I've done the job, I realized that's not really the case. Uh, it's, it's a job of more about numbers than about people. So, um, and there's also lack of innovation happening in finance. So that I decided that I wanted to transition to something um, that's more pe people-centered um, also in the center of innovation. So that's when I set my eyes on product manager because it is definitely um, creating new products that are um, having great greater user experience and while having a very huge center um, focus on having great relationship with your colleagues and uh, mobilizing and motivating a team to work. So, so in terms of my path to transition, um, I would say I did a bunch of side projects and how I really discovered them, it was really a matter of like saying yes to opportunities that come up. And a lot of times also requires some, a lot of levels of like hustling and then um, getting the words out there. So I, I think a lot of times people would say that they're struggling with like job search or they're struggling to find uh, what they're really interested in. I think way to do it is really to just throw yourself out there like um, take up side projects take up um, interesting things that are happening uh, volunteer for nonprofit, volunteer for startups like do those things that may seem like they don't have any um, rate of return right now but um, they will definitely help you to discover at least what you like or what you don't like um, the, during that process when you're working on it because it's very vague to understand what a job is like when you're just talking to someone. Um, it definitely helps, like you can ask, oh, what's your day-to-day -day like? And then they would say a bunch of tasks, but until you really do it yourself, you won't, you won't actually understand, okay, what does it mean to create um, product roadmap? What does it mean to um, like have a user journey? Like you would need to um, go through that experience yourself to understand, is this role for you? Is, are these tasks, uh, are, are these, uh, motivation are these goals um do they fit 
the kind of things you want to do. So I think that's how I found my passion, just through doing a gazillion numbers of like side projects and um, initiatives that outside of school and work. Yeah, I would love to for you to kind of dig, in, dig into like, you know, what were the different projects you um, you took on to really explore your passion because you were a finance major. And I think not many um, people um, choose product management and or uh, consider nonprofit, I, you know, so I'm, um, I'm I'm curious for you to to share with the audience here, like what were the different projects you took on and how you made those decisions? um to to try these projects for sure um so the first two projects i did were volunteering with um, two other startups one is called founders beta and it's an entrepreneurship society kind of thing for um, founders to host events together and meet other founders and i joined that because i um, i want to become a founder myself and i'm happy to say that i am a founder of a project right now and um for, for me to also network and get to learn, learn about other founders. That was the reason I joined. And as a like product manager, and then the second project I worked on was Kuzo Class and it is an ad tech platform. And I was actually the first cohort beta user for their entrepreneurship class. So they teach people how to start their own company. And then after my cohort ended, I, um, I reconnected with the CEO and asking, um, I'm looking for product opportunities. Can I get on board and work with you? And uh, basically on the spot, he asked me, okay, go to our website, tell us uh, what kind of things we should improve on. So basically I just talked on top of my mind, um, like five things that I think they can improve on uh, based on product intuition and then uh, what kind of things user might be looking for. So then he hired me on the spot. So I joined that one um, because I, I think uh, I, I had a really good experience during my beta cohort, and I also want to help other students to start their own company. So it usually behind it's like I'll look at the mission behind the project, and if it's something that appeals to me, then I would decide to join. And the third project um, I joined was Open Meal. So this is the one that really happened very close and dear to my heart. Um, so it, it it was started during COVID. Um, basically the worst time of COVID. So April, 2020. And I remember that's when like all the stock was going down and crashing. And then um, it was started initially during a hackathon where uh, we were able to win like a COVID-19 hack. And after that, uh, we decided to like bring it out to a real life project. Um, so the idea is that the problem we just discovered is for one, uh, a lot of people are losing their job uh, with the 12% unemployment rate at um, historical record high. Number two, a lot of people, um, a lot of restaurants, especially Asian restaurants, because of um, Asian phobia at the beginning of COVID, people think that going to Asian restaurants, you'll get COVID. Um, so those those restaurants, like 50, over 50% 50 of them closed down their operation just because of that. So. We wanted to help these two really vulnerable communities in during COVID. So we started Open Meal, which is a three-sided marketplace where we raise funds for all the restaurants. And then the restaurants are able to provide free meals for those people in financial need. And um, these people are basically able to order from different restaurants um, in a very humanizing way. Instead of going to food banks um, and they're able to enjoy a restaurant-made quality meal. Um, so 
yeah, that was the mission that we're working towards. And the reason why I decided to work on that project was that it really touches the bottom of my heart um, because I'm really passionate about food and from coming from like an Asian heritage, um, that's always been something um, related to great memories. And I also really want to um, help these family-owned restaurants because every one of them, um, they recruit like local staff and that is also like local employment for 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 that for society. So I, I want to support um, that pillar as well. And so that's how I work on Open Meal. And going on, um, so the, the project I'm working on right now, it's called Nutrify. And I've been brainstorming for it for three around three months um, before I officially started recruiting people, which was a month ago, um, to work on it together with me. So Nutrify, um, in the very beginning, I wanted to really address the sustainability problem because I, I, I remember watching um, a day on a, a day in the life, uh, a day in this plan planet, and then wait, sorry, no, it's alive on this planet. So uh, that documentary where it talks about the damage uh, humans have done to Earth and what would happen if we keep at the same rate of destruction. We essentially can even see the future of our next generation who can enjoy the same Earth that we do. So that was really devastating for me because um, just the thought of like my future kids will not be able to enjoy Earth um, and they might go extinct at the next few generations. So I decided to really dive deeper into the problem of sustainability and carbon impact. And I realized that food is actually the second highest carbon contributor out of all the industry with the first one being energy but we can't do too much about that because it's big oil company that are um, taking control of that. But food, it's something that we, like every consumer um, have the right and have the power to decide on what you eat, um, what is your diet to every day, right? So I, I feel like that is a huge gap that um, we are not doing in terms of our action um, and the level of education that we should achieve. Um, to make average consumer understand the impact of their um, food purchases on the climate. So that's how Nutrify got started because I really wanted to empower every consumer to make informed decision, um, knowing the carbon impact of different food and then choosing the more sustainable diets. So that's um, the project we're working on right now is to, um, the first uh, MVP would be to create a Chrome extension where people can browse through um, online shopping and then see the carbon impact of the different products and then choosing the one that's more sustainable. Or after they choose the ones in the shopping cart, we'll recommend them with a more sustainable product. And um, since last month, we have, I have, I mean, <laughs> I've been uh, kind of recruiting a lot of people to work on this project with me. And right now we have um, around 45 people on our team. Oh, wow. That's so impressive. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just uh, kind of, I'm hearing like this um, common thread across, um, you know, your experiences of one, you're really passionate about being a founder and you took that kind of throughout the course of your four, four projects. And then the other one that really stood out to me, was how you turned your, um, your love, uh, love of food, uh, which is a part of your culture and especially in Chinese culture I think food is really brings people together it's like I think a family 
um, when I think about food and then you turn that into the nonprofit at Open Meals. And then you took it even one step further um, and really thought about how um, our choices about what we eat can actually uh, impact and actually can be a huge um, um, form of power uh, really to um, save the planet and raise this climate consciousness around the world. So um, I just, I'm just like kind of so, so impressed to see like the progression of these changes. Um, I would really love to hear some stories um, uh, that you had from Open Meal because it's, I think it's such a, um, an empowering project uh, to help the Asian American community and raise awareness and, and also um, for people who, um, like you said, like who are in need of food, it's like giving that, giving them that human experience <laughs> to have a proper meal. So what were, what were some of the stories um, that you've collected about the people you help either the restaurant or um, people in need um, through open meal? And how has that really touched you or um, shape the, the path and the career that you want to uh, devote to? For sure. I would say working on Open Meal definitely had a huge impact on my decision on like officially transitioning as a product man manager because I was able to see firsthand like the real impact I was able to create on people. And uh, I think oftentimes Asians are viewed as the model model minority that we do really well in the society. Most, most of tech are occupied by Asians, but then uh, when you look at the real stats, Asians actually have the biggest um, gap of between, between the rich and the poor. Um, so there are a lot of Asians that are at the bottom of the society because they're immigrants and maybe they don't speak English very well. Maybe they're restaurants owner, they're like small business owners who um, can be struggling. So. I think just like recognizing that um, was was something that a lot of people are not aware because all they see is that Asians are working at high paying jobs and they're, they're fine. We don't need to really care about them. Um, so a lot of stories that we've heard are like quite like at the same time, heartbroken and heartwarming. Uh, we've had people sending newsletters to us saying that um, they're like mother of street kids and uh, every time, like every week, um, going to open meal restaurant is the biggest thing that the kids would look forward to. And then they would send us pictures of um, how the kids are eating so happily uh, with food and because they, they're not able to enjoy that on a regular basis. So, and we've also had, um, like we, we also help like essential workers um, who are working at the hospitals and um, basically in, enable like um, people to carry like bulk by um, different like many packages of food and then bring it over to their colleague and seeing those healthcare care worker eating happily in the hospital. I think that was also a moment where I feel like um, just like being able to help even a little bit, just like having making these essential workers to have free food. Um, it's also something that makes me really happy. So yeah, I think there are a lot, a lot more difficult situations than you would imagine. And um, every time, we, so we will have like an application form where we ask people like, what is your story? And then there are just so many heartbreaking stories about how difficult their situations are. Um, 
I remember seeing a story of a woman whose um, husband just died and uh, she also just lost her job and she had to pay mortgage and uh, raising her kids. And that was just such a heavy story um, for anyone. And I think the least we can do is to provide her family with some food um, and some joy and comfort. Yeah, and I think it's also really interesting you mentioned kind of this uh, economic gap between the rich and the poor. And for the Asian American community, people usually see um, the ones who are, you know, going to Ivy's, getting good jobs and tech, and forget that there is um, sort of another uh, group of um, uh, Asian Americans, and um, especially during COVID, like they're the ones getting impacted. Um, and affected by, and maybe they're the ones who are actually working really hard to try to make um, make a living um, during this time. Yeah, so um, you have expanded now to six cities. So I'm curious, like, how did how did this grow? Like, how did it how did it grow from where it's all started? And I think the last time we chatted, also um, you said everyone, uh, this is like a team across. Um, the people you're working with, uh, it's across different cities. So how are you guys able to work remotely and then um, make this ripple effect impact and grow this impact to now uh, six cities? Yeah, um, actually, I think we're in four cities, but that's roughly the same. So I would say um, it requires a lot of just like back to the point for making an impact like everyone believe in the same mission everyone um, has the same purpose so we work together because we all want to help the um, people of color minority um, communities and people in financial need so i think that force brought us all together because we believe in the work we're doing are impactful and um, in terms of like logistically so we usually we will do like group calls and uh, we'll like collaborate together and keep each other updated in Slack. So, and we also um, try our best to like make it feel more like a family or a community so that we will be sharing like personal stories and not just be working as well. So I think that's that's very key for um, any remote working to like know your colleague as a person. And uh, we do that through just like a lot of casual talks and, um, yeah, a lot of like community events as well. And then also for, for Nutrify, um, is your, so you have 45, 45 people on your team now, like is this also a globally distributed or distributed team that you're working with? Yeah, this is ev an even more globally distributed team. I would say for, for OpenMeal, it was mostly US, Canada and majority of in US. So like we didn't have as much of a time time difference. But then for Nutrify, we have people from over 10 different countries. Like we have people from um, Asia, people from Europe, uh, people from North America, and it's basically <laughs> almost every continent. So um, it's, it's a very interesting dy dynamic because um, people, because, because of the problem is very much a global climate issue. Um, everyone cares about sustainability, no matter you're in China or you're in US or you're in um, Paris, like in France. So I think it's really, really, that's why we all came together um, because we're all passionate about the same cause. And I think that global force also 
makes it really um, inspiring for us to work on it together because it makes us feel closer, even though we're like across the Pacific Ocean. And it just feels like we are on Earth together. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think this is your like the last time we tried it, I'm like you're the Gre Greta Thunberg of <laughs> the generation of the Asian American, you know, uh, generation and phase. Um, I really wish that. And bringing this together. So we talked a lot about your successes and um, it, I think it's just an incredible journey of you deciding to come to America at age 17 and then choosing finance and taking on these incredible projects, right, that eventually led to this global initiative. Um, bringing all these people together. So I'm curious, like on your path to becoming who you are now uh, and taking on these projects, so what were some of the challenges um, that you had faced either as a woman, as an Asian American, um, uh, leading, right? Like really leading these movements. What were some of the challenges that you had to confront and overcome to get to where you are right now? For sure. Um, definitely a lot of challenges. Um, I would say, well, a big one is, I think for, for anyone, uh, the challenge of believing in yourself uh, can always be hard in the very beginning. So um, having imposter syndrome, because I came from a finance background, I'm not very technical. Um, am I able to break into product manager? And then I've had multiple people telling me that oh, you need a CS degree to be a PM. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, why do you even try? Like, just, it, it, it sounds very, um, it can be very um, demoralizing sometimes, just thinking that, okay, well, seems like I don't have the requirement, but oftentimes um, companies don't really require technical background to be a PM. It's only uh, like a myth or like a consensus from people because most PMs are from a technical background. So they assume that um, if you want to be, be a PM, you have to come from technical background. But PM is such a diverse career path. Um, people come from all different kind of backgrounds. So I think that first step is to believe in yourself. And um, I have trained my self-confidence pretty well um, through a lot of um, I, I was actually a big fan of drama and improv where I would go on stage and I would just perform and see whatever that comes out of it. So I think that really helps me train my self-confidence and being able to just go with the flow. And um, I think improv is, I would highly recommend that to people. <laughs> I actually just recently um, started an improv class series and I just had my first class and it was so much fun. Yeah, I know. Improv is amazing because in improv, um, a big role is yes and. Like <laughs> you have to say yes in every conversation. If, if someone asks you, do you want to go out for movies tonight? You have to say yes and let's do this. So <laughs> like you, it's, it encourages you to be open to new ideas, to be very um, adventurous. And so that's the approach I've taken in life as well. Like I've, I've always said yes to opportunities that comes my way and that has opened up multiple doors for me in life. So I think back to the challenges. Um, so that, that, that was how I was able to kind of overcome um, the imposter syndrome by opening myself up to different kind of challenges and also believing in myself because of my past uh, track record. So I think 
it's important to also like give credit to yourself um, based on what you have done and then believing just like having faith that everything will work out and they usually do so I think that that's how I um, try to like overcome all the challenges or the doubt coming from other people or coming from myself well, and and did, did you take on these all in college um, in terms of building your self-confidence and taking drama and improv? Um, when when did those kind of happen for you? Yeah, I would say it happened um, kind of throughout high school. So I, I would say any like performance related activity could help. And I was also an athlete in high school. Like I do, um, I do like a lot of like, um, short runs where uh, a, a lot of sprints and a lot of competitions. So I would say that also helps me to build up a stronger uh, mental capacity to be able to take failures, to be able to uh, face adversity and to be able to be very competitive when you need to. Um, so mm-hmm. I think- What were some of the uh, sports that you did in high school? I'm actually curious. Yeah, I would say track and field was a big one. Um, I also did volleyball. Uh, and I'm also a dancer, so I do like ballroom dancing, and I've danced competitively before as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that. That's uh, that is actually a really interesting hobby. Like, how has that folded into your who you are? Yeah, I would say dancing for me is almost kind of like a meditation because whenever I dance, I forget about everything else, and um, it's also. I would say it's a very graceful kind of dance and it helps me to um, have a good posture when I like I'm used to like sitting very uptight and standing very uptight. Um, So I think that itself, like having the good posture in my physical um, state also helped me to build up confidence because that's that's just like the state I'm used to. Mm, wow yeah this is such a rich like I think you even like a rich um set of things you do even outside of um your work quote-unquote um which it's just so enriching so um I think maybe like as um, as we're rounding up to you know learning about your path and hearing about all, all these projects like I'm really curious like what's your definition of purpose for you yeah, so I would say um, the definition of purpose for me is to create something of value that are able to enable other people, like empower other people uh, and have a lasting impact after I die. So I think the reason why I feel like that would be the purpose is uh, not only because I want, I want something I do to like live after I die or like me being remembered, it's also that I feel like like humans, I mean, everyone has such a short life and it's up to, it's totally up to you how you want to spend it and how you want to define purpose. Purpose for some people is just to have a good life, um, have a good family, good kids, which is totally like, there's nothing wrong with it. And it's actually, it's really great. Um, I think for me, it's just that, um, I have a fairly high bar for myself and I want to push human towards like forward in, in terms of either civilization or technology advancement or um, climate change issues in, in an area that I'm good at with my strength and with my like naturally born gift or the gift that I'm able to 
basically use um, as a human. So I, I think that's, that's why I wanted to do that. I'm going to ask a follow-up question. Um, what is your, your gift or your superpower and how did you go, how did you go about finding that? Yeah. So I think I kind of talk about this in saying that I love talking to strangers. So I think <laughs> curiosity is one of uh, my gift in understanding how the world works. And um, I think that really helps in just like asking the right question and sometimes even asking the dumb questions because a lot of people, um, they would care about, um, they don't want other people to think that they're dumb. So they wouldn't ask the question that everyone in the room might be confused about, but I would always stand out to be that person <laughs> because uh, you never know if, uh, if maybe someone else is also confused about it. And um, just like having the courage to not care as much about um, other people's opinion about you, but instead just um, being able to be yourself and be authentic. Um, I think it's very important. And I think another gift I have um, is probably, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get better, but I would say um, in terms of storytelling and uh, getting people mobilized or motivated on, uh, on working on something. So I think that's, that's a skill that um, I'm also trying to train myself in by leading a team of 45 people and understanding everyone's motivation and how to be a better leader. So I love this topic of storytelling and actually as a PM myself, you know, I think storytelling is actually one of the one of the key ingredients to success because you're working with so many different people and you have to um, lead by influence um, to, to rally the people around. So how are you um, building your storytelling skills and what are some of the, the resources that you might be able to share with um, the listeners on um, if, you know, if they wanna get better at storytelling? Yeah, I would say really start from observing. Like, I think storytelling comes from the understanding of people. Um, once you understand um, human behaviors, human desires, then you can tell a story from a better perspective. So um, I would almost always start from observing um, either like user behaviors or just like how you would do things and writing down those small details you have in life and uh, reflecting on them. Um, I would say for, for people who are um, interested in just like collecting different stories, I think you should have like a notebook of like different stories that happen in you for life because stories are usually how a person is remembered. Um, you don't remember the fact, you don't remember the numbers, you remember the stories and you're able to retell the stories to other people. So if you're able to um, build your personal brand or build your yourself as um, in stories, then people will remember you. And I think that's a good way for, for any like social media networking um, or like marketing. Yeah. I'm gonna ask another question. So we're getting to, I think something, a really interesting topic, uh, maybe for me personally, how, uh, what makes an interesting story? Yeah, I think an interesting story encompass a transition of a character. So there's usually an inflection point in the middle um, where this person transformed or something um, turned out to be a different result as what it begins to be. So I think as long as it shows the progression of this character or either in terms of um, 
their mindset grew or that um, their perspective changed or that they were able to um, just like grew out of their own bias. I think that is a great story. Mm, do you have an example of how uh, a story that you have captured in your own life? In the very beginning of my recruiting cycle, um, I have always wanted to work for a robotic company because I think um, having the combination of hardware and software is just the coolest thing in the world. And um, I was super into um, autonomous vehicle and there was this company called Neural. Um, they're doing some really cool um, AV um, innovations. And then I just dreamed of getting into neurals. And then uh, I tried really hard. I was able to network with the HR, um, get on multiple calls, and then got myself a first round interview as a product manager at Neural. And I was so excited. I was preparing day in, day out, um, two months in, uh, like spending like two months reading everything about Neural. And then um, after the interview, and the interview went really well, um, I thought I did. And then after the interview, um, I got rejected. So I asked the interviewer, oh, why did you reject me? And then he said, oh, you didn't have any hardware experience. So I was like, okay, well, I moved on. And that was the first rejection in my recruiting cycle. And then later on, um, I was still applying for other jobs. And then this other company came on, um, it's called, it's Google X, so X the Moonshot Factory. So. Um, the team that they're recruiting for is um, called uh, the robot project, uh, the everyday robot project, which is also robotic. And it's a field that I'm super interested in. And I'm like, okay, this time I really want to try for it. So then I, um, I, I didn't really try for networking, but then I, I wrote a long paragraph explaining why I want to work at Google X. So um, I, I did my first round interview and then I uh, was able to pass it because I did a bunch of research on the interviewer's background and then got into um, final on-site. And um, it also went smoothly with a bunch of my research, uh, even though I didn't have a hardware background. So in the end, I was able to land an offer and I was really surprised. And it was basically my dream company. Um, and I think that story tells basically um, the transition of how I was able to turn that rejection into redirection. Like that first company wasn't able to um, get me because of uh, my lack of hardware experience, but now yeah. I'm able to go to a, <laughs> a different field of company, which is also my dream company. And I think it's, it's the like having that ten tenacity and resilience of keep trying and uh, seeking after things that you're passionate about that will get you to success. I love that so much. And I can really see this as one of your gifts to be able to like almost take take a step back um, instead of being immersed. And maybe this ties back to the drama that you were talking about, right? Like taking on drama as a, a early hobby, like you knew the characters you're playing, but you're also able to observe the scene that is going on. So when everything is happening, you can actually pivot um, how this, how you tell the story and, um, and what the takeaway is. Cause people can actually either fall into this like 
um, story of, okay, I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. I'm an imposter. Right. Or, or like, which is what happened initially, or they can turn it around as almost like the hero or, or what you call a term rejection into redirection, which I love it <laughs> to, to incite a different feeling and a different takeaway. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think it's the mindset shift. I think everything can be a mindset fact as long as you put the right mindset and having a positive twist on every event, you can always um, be able to do great thing with it, even though you failed in the first place. Yeah. And I noticed too, on your LinkedIn, like your, all your posts in a way they are storytelling. And I just, I absolutely, they're so, um, I don't know, what was the, the, the word, like enigmatic or like, it's just, it draws me like the, your post draws me to it. So um, I'm kind of curious, like, how do you, uh, how do you set your intention or like, how do you frame your post? For sure. So I would say, um, I always frame my post in a way that is like storytelling, um, because I intentionally want to practice my storytelling skills. And um, the reason I do that is because I, I truly believe that storytelling is the way to go in terms of um, either convincing someone of my belief. So when I post about Nutrify, I want to convince people that you should switch off of red meat because that is bad for our environment. But if I just put it bluntly out there, no one's going to listen. So I'm going to tell my personal story of how I watched the documentary of um, our kids not having a next generation and then how I felt very sad and angry. And then I think involving emotion is very important. Just like um, emotions are something that all humans can resonate with and that is the way I bring my audience to a common ground to me because they may not understand environmental impact or sustainability but they understand that I'm mad and I think that's enough for people to resonate and then potentially get convinced to take actions. I absolutely love that. I'm just, I'm just actually have your post, like, uh, you know, pull up your post. You said, I felt sad, angry, and fearful that my future kids won't have our planet earth to live because humans may go extinct at our current rate of global warming. Like those are very powerful words, what you conveyed there. Um, So yeah. how, How did you find that? I don't know, almost this like secret sauce of infusing emotion into your storytelling yeah i would say every story has emotions in it you probably felt something then you want to tell the story so i think just like putting it very um very clearly like what kind of emotions you're feeling and uh, or let the audience feel that emotion and uh, making sure that there's that emotional twist um, that you're giving them um, that can draw them in because people love stories um, and people love twists, love surprises. So I think it's understanding um, how human psychology works that can help you tell a good story. Awesome. I'm just so, I love how uh, our conversation in turned into this st- uh, um, art of storytelling, which I absolutely love. Um, so I want to be respective of our time and we have eight minutes left. So I want to see if there's any questions um, that you might have for Iris or anything that, you know, we want to just kind of like open up for a free form discussion. That's actually a really interesting story because I think um, as Asian Americans, like we've come across this question so many times, like, where are you from? Where are you really from? Oh, your English is so good, right? So I'm curious, Iris, how do you turn the story around? Because 
so many people can go into just like victim story, right? Like, oh, you know, people were making fun of my English and my accent. Um, and, and then, and then they, they spread that story around in social media. So I am really curious, like maybe you have done this, but how, how would you pivot that into something that is more empowering and bring people together and bring more awareness? For sure. So I think, um, how I did it was that, I, I mean, I told a story of, um, that person asking me where, where I'm from. And then I, I said, I'm from Canada. And then he said, where are you really from? And then I said, okay, I'm from China. And then, um, it go down that path of like, okay, your English is really good. So, <laughs> and then I would say, uh, I, I, I didn't really point it out in the conversation or anything. Um, and, after, after that, I, I told a story of um, us having more understanding of other people and their background and uh, not just defining people as who they're from, like where they're from and um, putting people into stereotype right away because of um, this person looks Asian. So they must be coming from China or they have an accent, they must be Chinese. So I think um, it's more of building like common understanding among humans, understanding that you don't need to put people into baskets. People can be global citizens. It doesn't, it's not necessary for everyone to just have a nation and then um, have a stereotype that they live up to. So I think that that was the message that I was trying to spread to um, help foster more of a common ground among humans. Mm, I love that. And it's really seeing the silver lining. And again, going back to what you said earlier, which is always to have a positive spin um, to the story at the end. So that like, I love the part of um, what you said about the empathy and, and seeing where people are coming, like where they're coming from um, to, to essentially at the end of the day to build a connection. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So thank you so much. This is such a, um, has been such a lively conversation. And I'm also, I just also feel super, um, super glad that we have decided to um, try this new format and have our guests here on the show. I think it was so, um, it's so great to interact with, with others and involve them in a conversation. And I think this is definitely something I want to continue to experiment with in my own podcast. Um, so thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with everyone. Iris, you're such an incredible Gen Z and you have such a great future ahead of you. And how can people get in touch? Um, or what's the best way to find you? For sure. Um, so you can definitely follow me and connect with me on LinkedIn at Iris School. And uh, you can also follow me on Instagram. Um, and uh, I, I mean, follow our company as well. Nutrify is N-E-U-T-R-I-F-Y. So we, uh, we're, we're going to post more educational facts for people to learn about um, the impact of food on your environment. So it will be interesting for you to learn some fun facts. And I would say um, if you're interested in career coaching or kind of mindset shift um, and having a positive mindset, on in your life and also um i also help a lot with um people's career um journey so in terms of either from job search to uh, resume cover letter edit to uh, the the strategy you can take and how to network how to um do 
your interview very well and then land that eventual offer and how to negotiate offers. So um, yeah, if you're interested in career coaching, also feel free to reach out to me. Thank you so much for listening to the Permission to Become podcast. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to rate, review, or subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. I'd really appreciate it. I'd also love to hear any feedback you have, so feel free to email me at permissiontobecome at gmail.com.